Hey, Roberta, how you doing? I'm okay. How are you, Morgan? I'm good. It's Wednesday. It's the end of the month of March. I don't have any April Fool's <laughs> jokes planned. Do you? No, I've never been really a punker, so I've never done that to anyone. But I did see a good one the other day. Maybe you saw it. It was about Volkswagen. The Volkswagen US announced that they're coming all electric now, and they were going to change their branding in the US to Volkswagen. Oh my God. V O L T S. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I bought it. I thought it was funny. And then by the end of the day, the mothership in Germany said, no, that was a practical joke. That was April Fool's joke. Oh, my goodness. They're not doing that. But I it, I thought it was great, actually. That's pretty good. Very funny. Yeah. So we've been attending a lot of virtual events lately, and they've all been pretty phenomenal. Unbelievable. You know, and there's millions out there. I guess if there is an upside to the pandemic, it's that there's been a lot of free podcasts and free Zoom videos that have been wonderful, you know, with really smart, good people that otherwise you wouldn't get to see and hear. It's been just a good week or a good month. I guess it's spanned, spanned a while. Yeah, it feels like there's this new energy in the air, or maybe I just have more energy <laughs> Two in these virtual events because they've been happening left and right, but feels like there's been some really phenomenal ones that coincide with the weather becoming really nice. And so I've been loving attending them. Yeah, it well, I think there I have heard that this Zoom webinar and podcasting is going to stick around. If anything is going to stick from our habits that have changed during the pandemic, this will be it because a lot of people have found a lot of hope and satisfaction and joy from being able to see others and hear others and hear these very good talks and you know, listen in on conversations that they might not otherwise be able to listen to. And people are so lonely. It's so hard to be in this isolation for so long. And Zoom is relatively inexpensive. And a lot of these lectures, I think everything that I went to was free. Or YouTube. A lot of things are being now put up on YouTube. Yeah, it's definitely more, I mean, to a certain extent, people are, are sick of Zoom, right? But I think they're sick of Zoom where they have to participate actively and be staring at the screen. But the nice thing about these lectures is whether you're there in person or at home, you are a listener mm -hmm. and you can check out or turn off your video and you can attend from home. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really no, that's right. You can participate however, whatever the level is that you want to. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, at least, it's going to take me a little while to get back to the same energy levels that I had to go out and be doing things you know, like socializing. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I can't even go there yet. In my head, I'm still so isolated in my house and on the walks I take in my neighborhood. I don't go in the car anymore. You know, I get food delivered and it's, I, I can't make the mental leap yet to being out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, me either. I can't imagine like scooting around town from work to a poetry workshop to a friend's house. You know, it's just unthinkable. <laughs> yes. And and for me, riding SEPTA is going to be a major hurdle. You know, I don't want to drive the car and park and I don't want to ride SEPTA yet. I don't believe in them yet. Sorry, yeah. SEPTA. No, but, I'm with you. Yeah airplanes or trains or anything enclosed like that. Yeah, it's going to be a while. Filtration systems need to get really better, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need that herd immunity or whatever it is that we're lusting after so that we can all be together again. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of our favorite events that we've attended. What was your favorite, Roberta? Or which one do you want to talk about first? Because it's hard to choose favorites. Oh, man. Yeah, I cannot choose favorites here. That's not a good question. (laughs) I'll just go in chronological order. So the first one that knocked my socks off was Glenn Ligon speaking with Hilton Alls at Princeton University. This was hosted by Princeton. I believe Hilton is a writer in residence or was a writer in residence at Princeton Mm. University. There were 2,376 listeners. I love this kind of detail. They always tell you who all, how, what the numbers are when they're really big numbers. And Glenn Ligon makes phenomenal work with words. He does use other materials, but he uses words as his medium. He uses stenciling and paint, coal dust, apparently, and he uses texts that he sources from James Baldwin and Mm. Richard Ellison. Is that his first name, Richard Ellison? That sounds wrong. Ralph Ellison? Yes, Yes. Ralph Ellison. Thank you. Yeah. I love the book <laughs> Invisible Man. I've written yes. many essays on it. Oh, no kidding. I would yeah. like to see one of those. <laughs> Send me your best essay. <laughs> oh, man. I, well, one was from AP English in high school. I can't imagine I grasped the book's weight, you know. <laughs> I don't know. High school, pretty smart in high school, I bet. And his pieces are very wounded you know he builds up a surface and then scrapes it back and then builds it up again and it's all words that are disappearing and appearing and ghostly and angry and in your face and bigger than you large works and Hilton Alls is a word crafter also but of the written word and truly a remarkable writer has been the theater critic at The New Yorker since, I think, 2008, but writes about, oh, just a whole manner of things, but is very social justice engaged. They're both African-American, and they know each other. And Mm. this was a conversation of two people who really loved each other, liked each other as friends, and knew each other pretty well. And they had gone over this territory before, but they were very generously doing it again for a public audience that was hungry to hear them speak. And so, among other things, Hilton Alls says, and he's mostly the questioner, he says to Glenn Ligon, I'm happy and greedy to ask you things I didn't know and be helpful for young people waiting for permission to make things. Isn't that a great concept? 
Yes. I mean, that that was how this thing started. And it's like, wow, this this is amazing. This is not your usual Zoom. Uh, and then the background behind both of them was a wall of books, just a wall of books that went up to the ceiling as far as you could see. It was just phenomenal. Anyway. I love that. I love that because I think about being a young artist and not knowing exactly what you want to make and that's, or not knowing what it is that it is possible to make. Right. And I think usually the second is more true. It's not that you don't have something to say. It's you don't know how to say it. And in a way that is a need for permission by being exposed and having representation of your interests and your passions. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're in art school, even though you know it's been said over and over, yet you got to break the rules. Still, they're telling you there are rules and you're inculcating those rules and, you know, sort of embracing them even when you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we were talking to someone recently and I can't remember who, but they were talking about an application. And if you provide examples that people will inadvertently use those examples because they're applying for funding, I believe it was. And it's also, if you provide a limited scope at all, you start, I think you naturally start to think, well, what is outside of that? And even that can be limiting because you're still starting from that source material. The one other thing I wanted to say about this, it went on for a whole hour. They just, they could have gone on for another two hours, but you know, they had to saw it off after a point. And the other thing that I picked up that I really, really loved was when Glenn Ligon was talking about his work and he said, I was always drawn to abstraction and I was at a very early age drawn to art and felt that art was what I loved and it made me a good citizen. Wow. And then he said, abstraction, there was no room in white abstraction for me. So I went to Baldwin. And then he find he found his source material in that. Isn't that amazing? And yes. if you think about his work, it's pretty abstract. It's, you know, if you stand far away from it, sometimes you can't read it. It looks like an abstract painting until you get up close and you see that there are words and you have to struggle to find them. Uh, well, Roberta, is there, do you know if there's a recording of this anywhere that we could link to? I will find it if there is, and I will, will put it in the um, text that goes around this podcast. I'm sorry, I don't have it. But it's Princeton University Department of Art, I'm guessing, or museum, one mm. or the other. I'd love to listen to it because these things are very powerful and in context, I bet. It's expanded upon, and I'd love to hear it. It was a great conversation. Everybody should listen to it if it's recorded, and I hope it was. Yeah, great. So that's my first. Do you want to throw one out there? Well, the other two that we we attended these ones together, I didn't mm-hmm. go to the Hilton Alls and Glenn Legan, but we went to Art Break with Betty Lee Craft at AAMP, and we saw Kem, our blog contributor, Kemuel, who ran a panel at Rutgers about African diaspora dance. Yeah, those were great. Those were both really worth going to, and I hope they're recorded also and available somewhere. Should we get into Betty's first? Let's I have, do it. I have some notes. Betty, talk, Betty was a tech at the Fabric Workshop and Museum, 
from 1980 to 1986. Betty is a Philadelphia artist, a textiles artist, does surface design and sculptural installations, altars, beautiful stuff. Anyway, she talked about how her time at the fabric workshop was an artistic crossroads for her. She said before that she was making garments. That was her art. She did a lot of fabric construction of garments. And she got to work with other artists at the fabric workshop. And they introduced her to things like quilting. Mm. Uh, she worked with Mo Brooker and with Betty Saar. And in both cases, she was working on quilts that they made. And so she learned about putting surface design on quilts, and then quilting. And if I think about Betty now, one of my favorite pieces of hers is the Kensington quilt that she made. It was made as a result of the... Was it Philadelphia Assembled? Yes, it's part of Philadelphia Assembled. Thank you, Morgan. And it, it has Kensington in the title, and I can't remember what the exact title of it is, but it's photos and maps of Kensington, and it's about the redlining and keeping out of African Americans during the 50s and 60s and ever onward from housing, from buying housing and living there. It's a very moving piece. And so the fact that she wasn't originally in the quilting zone is endearing to me. It shows a lot of flexibility and growth, which, you know, not everybody gets out of their, off their treadmill and into a new zone. But mm -hmm. Betty consistently throughout this talk she gave talked about new things that she was picking up and loving it. And now she does digital embroidery, for example. Yeah. So my favorite part of this talk was, you know, apart from just hearing Betty speak after DMing with her on Instagram, she sends us like things that we should know about and it's awesome. And it's just nice chatting with her. Apart from just hearing more about her career, her very long and impressive career, it was a webinar. So you couldn't exactly see who was in the crowd, but people were chatting. Um, she, she noticed Karen Smith was in the chat and she said, well, Karen Smith has amazing vegan pies. And it was just great. But after that talk, I went back into the Art Blog Radio archives and I said, I bet that there is a podcast with Betty. And I'm sure you've told me, but I, I can't remember. There's so many podcasts. And there was. And the reason I knew it was Philadelphia Assembled is because she was talking about that project. The project was in its early stages when you spoke with Betty. You know, she talked about making works that are scaled for the living space. She talked about showing in South Africa and fundraising and going to South Africa to see it, to see the show, which is surrounding Nelson Mandela and the beadwork she saw there, the beadwork she bought there. And she got into all of this, these workshops that she was doing at the time, some of which were done with young women who were incarcerated. Another one was at Tyre Puerto Ricanio, where she worked with students to talk about the topic of AIDS. And so she's had this really long, just amazing career that's very people and community oriented. And she was also talking about how her family has a long lineage of makers and how she credits them for becoming the, the maker that she is today. So deep dive on Betty recently. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. And we love Betty. And 
she's absolutely worthy of every accolade she's ever gotten. She's gotten multiple leeway grants and awards and grants and awards here and there. Absolutely so deserving of them. Yeah, the, the last thing I'll say about Betty is that at her AAMP talk, she talked about collaboration and how it helped, she says, it helped me step out of my solitary person and work in a broader context. Where does my skill intersect with a filmmaker or someone else? So there, you know, the flexibility, the openness to working with others, just the total package. There's just something so special about people who are always craving to expand what they know and to adjust their worldview, which is a tough thing to do, you know? Yeah. And then share, you know, share share with others, with young people. Betty is, I think, big on the ancestors and the young people and connecting, you know, the thread that flows through. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really special. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great reminder right now. We're in this pandemic and there's a lot that's unknown about when it will end. There's some hope with vaccines, but we really don't know. And we need to just constantly be connecting in whatever ways we can each other. Absolutely true. So true. Well, Kem's panel at Rutgers was really great. I mean, let's talk about it briefly. Kem organized this panel and it was called something along the lines of the therapeutic effects or benefits of dance for the African diaspora. You know, they acknowledged that one of the panel conversationalists had issue with that name because she was saying that dance should be an exercise and therapy should be preventative. It should not be treating something after the fact and it's how important it is to have preventative measures such as dance integrated into institutions such as higher education. I love that. I just love that. This was Beverly Pittman, who's a a kinesiologist and health worker and writer, researcher. And she gave a background about this and talked about how she said they took music and physical education out of the school. And what was the response? Now we have music therapy, dance therapy, and art therapy. Mm. It's like turning it from this is beneficial to, oh, you're sick. You have Mm. to get this therapy, which I thought was so interesting. That really neatly fits in with a podcast I recently listened to, but we'll get into that later. But it was about smell therapy for people who have extended smell loss from COVID. So I'll tell you about that, but I'm glad you captured that quote. It's very poignant. Yeah, I agree. No, it was really great. So bravo to Kim for rounding this up. We had Vince Johnson in there who was in the Rennie Harris Pure Movement and Crystal Frazier, choreographer, also former Rennie Harris. So, and then there was India Borodino who is a great on skates, roller skater, uh, movement person, and Thomas DeFrance, who is a dance person, slippage creative for betterment out of North Carolina. So it was a powerful panel, and they all spoke really beautifully. It was yeah. great. 
And and again, Rutgers probably has it recorded somewhere that you can listen to. I hope so. I really enjoyed it. And it's also nice. A few of them, if not all of them, knew each other. And it's, you know, you were talking about how Hilton and Glenn knew each other. And it makes for a great conversation. Yeah, I agree. Totally. You get these glimpses of things that you wouldn't normally be privy to if you, you know, whether it's eye contact or extra laughter that you wouldn't normally get. They're referencing things they've done together and it just makes it rich. I agree. Totally. Totally. And, you know, the back and forth between Kim and Beverly Pittman, she was the one that objected to the title of the panel, which had the word therapeutic in it. They just, they kind of went at it a little bit as they had over email and phone calls before that, because there was a back and forth about the word therapy and the whole concept of therapy. That was great. And Kem mm-hmm. said that he left the title of the panel that way so that they could touch on the topic. It was great. It was great to be in kind of in the background hearing about that conversation that they had. Yeah. 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 So the one final thing that I want to just talk about that I saw, should I go ahead with that? Yeah, tell me. Okay. It's the David Wojnarowicz uh, new documentary. I can't even remember the name of it. <laughs> I just <laughs> saw it. It just came out and it's a very, it's very good. And you screened it from Lightbox Film I Center. screened it from Lightbox, Yes. Actually, it was amazing because there it was on our website. They, thank you, Lightbox. They took a little banner ad out and I clicked on it and it was not a lot of money to watch it. You get five days to watch it. It's two hours and 48 minutes long. So you need five days to watch it. <laughs> I actually rewatched part of it and it's, it's very well done. And it's based on David's tape journals. This was mm. back in the cassette tape era. He is he dates from 1954 to 1992, I think he died, uh, of AIDS, and was an AIDS activist, started out as a poet, had a very terrible childhood with an alcoholic father that treated the family, beat up the mm. mother, beat up the children. David ran away a lot, spent a lot of his childhood on the streets in New York City but found himself through words and poetry and writing. And that was his first tool as an artist was the words. He was an amazing wordsmith and wrote and wrote, but he also tape recorded things. And so he recorded these journals on tape and there's Mm. now an archive of everything. And he saved all of his voice messages that were left on his old voice recording machines with the telephone. So interspersed throughout the whole piece is David speaking his words and then the voice recordings on the telephone calls of the calls that he missed. And it makes for a really you are there kind of loopy in and out narrative, which I really appreciated. It seemed to go with David's helter skelter kind of life. Mm. He, he lived a nonlinear life in many ways you know, back and forth and up and down. And, but I guess there was a flow through that was consistently activist and about AIDS. And, you know, he was a a deeply troubled individual, but very brilliant. He was just a genius. And there was a, I saw his, I'm a fan. I've read 
the biography that was done of him a few years back, Cynthia Connolly, Cynthia, I'm sorry, blanking on the name again. I didn't do my research thoroughly enough. <laughs> sorry, people. And saw his retrospective at the Whitney Museum, which Andrea Kirsch wrote about on mm -hmm. Art Blog. I didn't write about that, but she did very movingly and said it was a must-see show and it was absolutely stunning. Hmm. The amount of work that he produced, even up to the end, and the quality of it, just knock your socks off. Yeah. Another thing that I'll add to my watch list, I, I, yeah. I'm not familiar and I'd love to listen. I think especially what you're describing the movie is is tough to do where you're getting these little glimpses at different parts of people's lives but if it's done effectively it can be very moving mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely a montage and it's kind of skelter helter skeltery but it does add up it adds up to a really moving portrait of the era as well as this person mm -hmm. yeah highly recommend it that sounds great. All right. So what have you been listening to or what are we going to talk about now, Morgan? Well, you know me. I <laughs> Before the pandemic, I listened to music when I worked and I listened to podcasts when I walked sometimes, but something has switched in me and all I've done, I think since March, I'm serious, is listen to podcasts. And when I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm either watching something or reading or whatever else. I feel that even if I'm painting, I'm watching something or listening to something. I just can't get enough of narrative right now. I think it's just I need that distraction. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Narrative is really important. Yeah. Just disappear into that narrative and forget about your isolation here. Yeah. And I think also, you know, I'm from a big family and I, I have always needed kind of noise so now that we're so lonely it's voice it's other people talking and it's nice that's so interesting you you have your family with you in your ear the whole time and it's a bigger family than you ever thought you would have yeah yeah so okay I go through my phases I sort of find podcasts I like and I listen to a lot of them and sometimes it's not possible because it's a news one and you don't want to listen to the news from last year but the one that I've been listening to recently, this is my little morning routine. And when I wake up, I listen to the New York Times, The Daily. Okay. I know of it. I don't listen to it. Okay. It's very good. It will. I, I wasn't sure I would like it when I first listened to it because the host has this very distinct NPR-ish voice. And he goes, I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. And he just, <laughs> here's... What else you need to know today? <laughs> but I ended up loving it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so one of the best podcasts from The Daily that I've recently listened to, it was called A Food Critic Loses Her Sense of Smell. So the New York Times food critic, her name is Tejal Rao. She has a very mild case of COVID. She describes it as she wakes up one morning and she thinks she smells stagnant water. And she is wondering if maybe someone in her household cleaned recently. Like she couldn't identify the smell. Obviously smell is very important to her career. And so she came to notice that what she was really smelling was an absence of smell. Hmm. And so she 
she panics a little bit. She gets a COVID test. She, in fact, has COVID. And she ends up experiencing a form of long COVID, they call it, where I, I believe you're not contagious, but you it, it's caused by an inflammation of the brain from your from your body trying to respond hmm. to the virus. Mm-hmm. So the most common one I think people experience is extended loss of smell, but you can also experience things like intense paranoia for extended periods of time. Wow. Yeah. And that was that was all information from another daily podcast. But so she's trying these home remedies. She finds one on TikTok from this guy, Kamar, and it's a Jamaican remedy that he learns from his mom where you're supposed to burn an orange all the way around until it's blackened. And then you peel it and you mash it and you put sugar in and you eat it hot. And it doesn't work, but she does. She talks on the phone with this TikToker and then he she talks to his mom which is really endearing. They're just very generous people. And what she she holds on to is that the mom says, you need something to reboost your brain. So it turns out, you know, in this family, that's probably a very familiar taste for them. So it kind of, you know, resonates mentally as well. She latches on to what the mother said, and then she ends up speaking to a Philadelphia doctor named Dr. Pamela Dalton. And she is a basic research scientist at the Monell Chemical Center. And Dr. Pamela Dalton actually lost her smell, not from COVID, but a different viral infection. And that led her on a path to figure out what was going on. And it's very interesting. Something that they said that really stuck out to me was that people who experience smell loss, it takes them longer to smell. The smell is delayed, essentially. They described the way that you smell as a map in your brain. And if you regain your smell quick enough, your brain still has the map on file. But the longer that time goes by, you have to sort of rewrite that map. So you're making new mental and memory connection and emotional connections to things. Something that this doctor suggested that she do is take herbs, uh, spices that are familiar to her and put them out in front of her, like four of them. And instead of taking these big woofs, like, you know, (laughs) and getting frustrated, she told her to clear her mind entirely and don't think about what you should be smelling. And she took these little bunny sniffs, like, and then you wait. And eventually she said she had this rushing uh, memory of her grandfather chewing on cardamom seeds. So the, the, emotional and and cognitive memory came back of the smell, even though the smell was faint. And that's one of the ways that you can start to get your smell back. Wow. Yeah. I want to say that you illustrated that with your and whatnot very well, Morgan. You could be a sound actor or whatever they call that. It was great. Oh, well, thank you. I've listened to so many podcasts. That's an amazing story. And I'm glad to have that tip, everybody. That's a great tip. If you lose your smell, put your spices out there and just take bunny sniffs. I like that you characterized it as bunny sniffs. (laughs) And then wait for the memory, the mental picture. Yeah. She said it felt a lot more like real therapy, Hmm. you know, and this relates back to what you were talking about with dance. The doctor was reluctant to call it recovery because it's not an illness. So you recover from an illness, but it's an injury that you have to heal from. 
Okay, so healing and not recovering. Yeah, because huh. I guess it's an, an injury, is losing your so- yes. sense of smell is an injury. Yes. Mm-hmm. How very cool. Well, there you go, everybody. There you go. <laughs> I think our time is almost up, but I wanted to say we have a few closing notes. Something I wanted to do was shout out this podcasting company that I uh, work for in my spare time. I you have had... spare time, Morgan? Tell me about this spare time. I thought you worked for us 80 hours a week. No. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I've been filling my spare time, just try to keep busy. But something I do to fill my spare time is I edit this, this podcast and the the company is called Textured Air. And it's founded by a woman named Mariah Woods, who went to Temple University. And she lives in California now. And it's all about celebrating black women and black culture. The one is does it hold up and they look at film TV shows and albums, and they they have invaluable discussions about whether or not these things hold up in in the current day. And the other one is Where My Girl's At, and that one is all about Black women and hip-hop. And they're doing really amazing work. I mean, Mariah not only founded Textured Air, but co-hosts both podcasts and edits the one that I don't edit and puts up content constantly on YouTube. And I just think they're doing really great things, and I'm very impressed by them. My high school friend, Camille, who was very into musical theater, is currently a very talented singer and actress, co-hosts Does It Hold Up. So she's from Philly and just wanted to shout them out. That's very nice. Very nice. I like that. And can you find these on every podcast channel everywhere? Yeah, I think so. Definitely on Spotify. That's the the, the platform I use. But I think they say wherever you get your podcasts. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And tomorrow, I don't know that this podcast will be out by then. We'll fi- we'll find out. But tomorrow we're going to be at Venture Cafe's virtual first Thursday again. We've been going for the past couple months. Yep. It runs from 630 to 8 on a platform called Remo. And what do we do there, Roberta? We just we, hang out. We, yeah, we hang out. We it's a it's like going to First Friday, going gallery hopping on First Friday. There are a bunch of different tables there with galleries represented at the tables and Art Blog has a table and you just hop around and you say, hi, what's going on? And we get into these amazing conversations with people about collecting art and the price of art in Philadelphia versus New York. And, you know, it's really worthy conversation. So we'd love to see you there. Yeah. Yeah, we've had some lively conversations and even debates, and it's just been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, No arguments, though, just debates. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I think that's our time. This has been our blog radio. It's been great chatting with you, Roberta. Always, Morgan, great chatting with you, and we'll see you again on Zoom real soon, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.